0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to St. James. Glad you guys are here. Uh, Say hi and welcome to the uh, uh, friends who are watching online right now on YouTube and we're glad that you guys are here as well. Uh, Take a second and fill out the uh, guest books at the end of your aisle and then pass those down so the people next to you can fill those out as well. There's also a QR code on the back of the bulletin uh, if you prefer to do it that way. A couple things about the schedule this week. You can see this for yourself. I want to highlight the new members class tonight. That's at 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, we got a good group of people in there. Uh, there's like 15 of us. And if you want to come and hang out and uh, eat donuts and talk about the Bible and theology, uh, you are more than welcome to. Uh, that's at 6 o'clock this evening. Uh, the men's Bible study, ladies' Bible study on Saturday. Um, can I, I'd like to personally invite you guys to come downstairs afterwards for adult Bible study. I know that uh, for some Lutherans that's like, uh, you know, you don't do that. But uh, let me ask you to consider breaking that habit and coming downstairs. Today we're going to talk about uh, the intermediate state, which is what theologians call the time between when we die and our bodies, uh, you know, go in the grave or get cremated or whatever, and our souls are with Jesus and uh, what does that look like and what does that mean? What does the Bible say about that? Uh, that'll be right after, uh, afterwards today. So come downstairs after the service, uh, 10.30ish. And there's uh, food and drink down there uh, so we can hang out uh, with each other and talk about the Bible. Uh, youth yard sale, uh, uh, read that. That's going on this uh, uh, two weekends from now. And so, um, uh, yeah, if you have any questions about that, you can talk to Stacy or any of the youth leaders And I think that's all I got by way of announcements. Uh, Let's go ahead and stand and we'll sing the opening hymn. Mercy upon us. Christ have mercy upon us. Lord have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. O oh, Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities. Especially do I acknowledge my neglect of prayer my indifference to Your Word, and my seeking after worldly luxury and self-promotion. I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray of Your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of Your beloved Son, forgive me all my sins and be gracious and merciful to me. Cleanse me through Your Spirit by the blood of Jesus Christ. And give me more and more power and willingness to strive after holiness. For you have called me to be holy and blameless before you in love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. through whom we have now received reconciliation. Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In Your faithfulness answer me in Your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with Your servant. For no one living is righteous before You. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul for I am your servant. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pentecost is um, the Tower of Babel story, which, I mean, if you've been to enough Pentecost services, you'll know where this is headed. If not, I'll talk about it in the sermon. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore to its name, therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of, the, of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, here's the front half of uh, the, Pentecost re- uh, the Pentecost sermon that Peter preaches. Uh, actually, in the, in, it's kind of weird. In the lectionary, we'll end up reading the back half like in four weeks. Uh, but I'll, I'm going to actually read it in the sermon a little bit to us this morning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Aren't all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, Ah, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, "'Lifted up his voice and addressed them. "'Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, "'let this be known to you and give ear to my words. "'For these men are not drunk as you suppose, "'since it's only the third hour of the day. "'But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. "'And in the last days it shall be God declares "'that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, "'and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, "'and your young men shall see visions, "'and your old men shall dream dreams.' We stand for the Gospel reading. Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 14. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, Pentecost Sunday, right, and uh, we celebrate the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the disciples uh, on that first Pentecost. It's kind of a weird scenario. It's a little bit uh, like like all Christian festivals, like, you know, you you celebrate Easter, uh, but it's not a one-off thing. Easter is kind of an ongoing, it's a a reality that we live in, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Pentecost is the same way. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes it's like the... Oh, so let's talk about the Holy Spirit for one day and really the Christian life can't be lived outside of the Holy Spirit so it, it has to be more than just one day it has to be an ongoing reality but those of you who are believers already know that I'm preaching to the choir let's talk a little bit about just from uh, the first part of actually from all of uh, Peter's acts 2 sermon here let's talk about what we can know about the Holy Spirit I just want to make a comment real quick here before we uh, and this is worth more conversation than I'm about to give it but it's worth pointing out that the notion that the people before Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit, and then they did at Pentecost, they finally got the Holy Spirit. Not totally accurate. That's not really the way it works. I, I don't know if anybody noticed this in our psalm reading this morning, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. The Holy Spirit's clearly active in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit gets mentioned a lot in the Old Testament, starting with the, the second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 2, and all throughout. Now, what what, what isn't happening until Pentecost is people getting the Holy Spirit for spiritual gifts universally. Prior to Pentecost, certain people would get the Holy Spirit poured out on them in order to serve. You know, prophets, priests, and kings would have the Holy Spirit poured out on them. Uh, but what we, get in, um, what we get at Pentecost is it's universally poured out on all of God's people. So that's a little bit of an intro there for you. I'm going to just, if I can, uh, point out four things to you from, this, uh, from Acts 2, uh, stuff that we can know about the Holy Spirit. So first of all, the Holy Spirit fulfills history. The Holy Spirit, second of all, empowers us for kingdom ministry. That's kind of going to be a big point. Uh, The the main point is going to be the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus. That's the third point. And then the fourth point, which is uh, going to be more practical, just kind of a way to wrap up what we're talking about here this morning, is the Holy Spirit is a person. And I'll tell you why that's practical when we get there. But first of all, the Holy Spirit fulfills history. There's three things. So, So Pentecost, you know, what is Pentecost? Oh, that's what we do, you know, with the red colors and whatnot. Actually, Pentecost is an ancient Jewish festival. It goes back, uh, you know, millennia. And it's, Pentecost is what they're celebrating in Judea. Like all the pe- people from all over the world, you know, uh, Mesopotamia and Rome and all parts in between have come to Jerusalem because Jews were invited uh, once a year to come and celebrate Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover. That's why it's called Pentecost. And they would come and they would celebrate. And it was mainly, originally, Pentecost was mainly an agricultural festival. It was like, uh, we're going to bring in the crops and we're going to bring the first fruits to Jerusalem and we're going to offer them up to God as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Like, God, thanks for providing for us and thanks for doing uh, all the good things you've done for us this year. And we're going to symbolize our gratefulness to you by bringing in one of our sheaves, one of the first sheaves that we cut, whatever it is, you know. And we're going to bring that to you and give that to you in the, in the temple. It would be this huge, massive party, and and people would all be together, and you'd be with people from all over the world, all over the known world uh, there in Jerusalem. But, so, so that's what people are thinking of. On Pentecost, that's what people are thinking of, is this is a first fruits festival. And so why is the Holy Spirit being poured out on Pentecost? Uh, One of the answers is, is because uh, this is the first fruits. Uh, The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the salvation of these 3,000 people, the conversion of these 3,000 people to go from being not Jesus people to being Jesus people, definitely here it's pictured in Acts 2 as a work of the Holy Spirit. That is first fruits. It's the first part of the story that you and I are still living in here and now. So that was the first part. That was the first fruits. And and now here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, and we are doing the same thing as they are doing. We're confessing that Jesus is Lord repenting of our sins and asking Jesus to forgive us. So it all starts here at Pentecost. It's the first fruits. Second thing, though, is that, and I, I need to tell you this, is that Pentecost, over time, there's definitely always a, a, you know, an agricultural festival is a celebration of God's blessing us with, with whatever, with these crops. But over time, it also began to be a celebration of something else that happened 50 days after Passover. And that is, Israel's arrival at Mount Sinai after the first Passover. So I'm not sure how much like a uh, uh, background history I should do here, but for those of you who don't know, Israel's redeemed out of Egypt. This is the formation of, uh, of their nation. God rescues them out of Egypt with a bunch of miracles, uh, defeats their enemies. Uh, they escape across the Red Sea, and then 50 days later, wandering through the desert, they come to Mount Sinai, where God himself comes down and meets with them and says... I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to give you this covenant, and everything it includes, all these promises on my end, up to and including my presence. I'm going to live with you. And on your end, this is the way I want you to look. As my people, this this is going to be the house rules. And so they have this, this giving of the law. This is what God's character is, and this is the way that we should look. This happens 50 days. And over time, the Pentecost festival turned into not just an agricultural festival, but also a celebration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. These two things would go together. And so what does that have to do with the first, for, for, for the first Christian Pentecost? Well, it's this. God promises in his new covenant in Jeremiah 31 that there's going to come a day when I'm going to come and repair the covenant that you guys broke, uh, the, the, the people of Israel. The covenant that God made through Moses on Mount Sinai, they broke that and shattered it. And God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a new covenant, and I'm going to write my law in your hearts. I'm not going to write it on tablets of stone this time. I'm actually going to write it inside your hearts with the Holy Spirit. So the early church, when they're celebrating this first Pentecost, they're connecting these things in their mind. Just like God came down and gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, God comes down and gives us his Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and he writes the law on our hearts. So Pentecost is doing a great job of fulfilling all these historical themes. One more, and then we'll move on to the second point. This is a little bit uh, lecture-y, uh, uh, I know, this, this first point. is a little, a little too historical, maybe, for some of you. Um, Old Testament reading this morning. Tower of Babel. Adam and Eve fall in the Garden of Eden. So, so let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, God creates human beings, me and you, uh, and all these other human beings. It okay, starts off with Adam and Eve. He puts them in this beautiful, spanking new, beautiful, perfect world. And he says, I want you guys to work. I want you to tend the garden. I want you to be in perfect relationship with each other and with me. And I want you to worship me. These are the three things that God's called humans to do from the very beginning. Work, worship, relationship. These three things. We were designed for these three things. And everything that, almost every desire that you have in your life, So there's a little bit of a sidebar here, Just about every desire that you have in your life is going to circle back to these three things that God built inside of you. Work, the desire to do things of significance. Relationship. You weren't made to be alone. You were made for friends. You were made for family. You were made for community. We we as postmoderns, we hate community. But we crave it at the same time. We're kind of stuck in this weird area where we, we want people in our lives. We want to know and to be known. Whenever people get too close, we push them away. That's a part of the fall. And the third thing we were made is for worship. To sit before the transcendent and to say, that's ultimate reality and I bow before it. Now, once you abandon God, you end up making something else ultimate reality. You know, it could be whatever. You know, we've talked about this so much in here. Making money or getting good grades or sex or being in charge or whatever it is. You know, respecting the community. We end up making that the transcendent, and those things can't ever pay out because they're not transcendent. They're all good things, but they're not transcendent. Well, Adam and Eve screw all of that up uh, back in the very beginning. They screw all of that up, and one one of the effects of that is fractured relationships. Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, almost as soon as they rebel against God, start blame casting, and we're still blame casting today. It's really never my fault. It's always your fault. And this is, this is what we do. And there's, fractured relationships is the result. None of us, even the people that you are closest with, your closest friend, your best friend, or your spouse, or whatever, your, your favorite aunt growing up, that person that you know the best in the world, there is a wall between you and them. You are never quite perfectly in sync. You never quite know what they think about you. You never quite know if, they're, if you're actually making them happy. You never quite know what they want. You always know that there are certain things that we, me and you know, Aunt Margaret, whatever your favorite aunt or your best friend or your spouse, there's always certain things that we're not going to bring up because they, there's antagonism there. That's a result of the fall. And the, the, where it's maxed out to the most is the story of the Tower of Babel where people get together and they say, let's unite. Let's create civilization. We're all going to work together. And then, of course, the, the result of that is... is uh, Uh, God fracturing them apart with different languages. And the fact that, you know, having different languages is really kind of the perfect picture of the brokenness that exists between us and between people who aren't like us. The fact that there are other human beings, and you can't even understand what they're saying, is a sign of the fall. Now, I, I think languages are awesome and beautiful. But just by themselves, with no translator, they're definitely a sign of brokenness. Pentecost reverses that Pentecost begins the reversal that were people who don't have they, they don't share the same language they're unable to hear whatever Peter's saying they're unable to communicate with each other and it's not perfect here it's not like all of a sudden they know all the languages of the world or anything like that it's definitely a one-off miracle but all of a sudden those walls that are up between them come down even for just a moment so that they can be united with each other and united in their ability to hear what, G- what Peter is saying about Jesus. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit starts to remake history at Pentecost, and he's still doing it today. Babel is still being disintegrated today, right? The first fruits are still being paid out. You and I are still bearing fruit 2,000 years later. The Holy Spirit has now come down at Pentecost and lives within our hearts. and It's totally imperfect, I know it, and we're all broken and screwed up. But you and I have the Holy Spirit living. Those of us who know Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts now so that we are connected with the transcendent God. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit fulfills history. Second thing is this, is the Holy Spirit empowers us for kingdom ministry. I think, like when I was thinking about this sermon this morning, I, I, try, I think maybe this is the point I want you to remember most. It's not, the main, it's, not the mo, it's not the main point. It's not even the most important point, to be honest with you. Point three is But it's kind of the one I want us to walk away, as St. James Lutheran Church, it's the one I want us to walk away uh, with this morning, and that is the Holy Spirit empowers us for kingdom ministry. So like I said, all these different people there from all these different areas with all these different languages, and uh, they come together and they're bewildered because they hear the disciples preaching in languages that they can understand. And now I know I say this every... uh, every uh, Pentecost Sunday. We don't really know how this worked. We don't really know the mechanics. Of, we, we don't know if Peter all of a sudden knew Parthian, just miraculously. We don't know if Peter was just speaking Aramaic. Probably that was his home, 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 home language. If Peter was just speaking Aramaic, but somehow it was being translated by the Holy Spirit into the listener's ears. We don't know how it works. But we do know that there's a need here. There's all these people and they don't know that they, 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 don't, they don't share this common language with the Galileans. But God has a plan. And his plan is he's gonna rescue these people. And in order to meet that plan, God's going to do something. He's gonna send his Holy Spirit in order to fix the problem, to fix the brokenness. All right? And I just, I just want to point out here that there are needs. Anytime that the, anytime God's going to work, the Holy Jesus is gonna do something, the Holy Spirit is gonna do something. There's barriers to that. Like, there are people around here that need the gospel. There are people who are struggling financially that need help. There are people with broken relationships who need hope. How is it going to get from this room to them? That's a barrier. That's definitely a wall. How is it going to work? And the answer is, is the gifting of the Holy Spirit. The gifting of the Holy Spirit. God meets needs in his time, with people, like here in our story, it's p- Peter and the Lot, but with people who have gifts that he has given them specifically for that group of people in that moment, at that time, in that context. He always does this. I was having a conversation this past week. Me and a, c- a couple of other you were, were um, at lunch on, on um, Wednesday with a, a, a young guy who's contemplating Christianity, kind of sitting like... I don't know if he would even say it that strongly. He's not really contemplating Christianity. He's kind of sitting on the periphery, but he keeps on wanting to talk about Christianity. And we were having a conversation, and he was telling us about this vision he has for like the perfect society. And he says it's like a communist society, but there's no authorities telling people that they have to do the jobs that they have to do. This is the way he described it was, you know, people over here um, love to make bread They just love it and it's their passion and so they make bread and then people over here love to do lawn work and so that's their passion people over here love to make shoes and that's their passion and they do it and society if we can all be like that where we're doing our passion and people are receiving the shoes that they need or the bread that they need or the lawn service that they need and everybody who's doing it is doing it not because you know you make money he's not saying that money's not important, but he's saying that people choose jobs. Look, it's a a recall back to my Sabbath sermons. People choose jobs based upon money. That's really, really kind of a good way to be miserable, to to do something that doesn't fulfill you and doesn't fulfill anybody else, but it makes you money. It's a a good way to be unhappy. So this is the, the, the world he's envisioning, but he doesn't believe in God. So the question I had for him is, what's the mechanism? How do you get there? Who's going to say, you, you make shoes, and you, you love making shoes? How, how does that work? And how, does it, how, how is it organized so that, oh, dang it, there's nobody making shoes. We need somebody making shoes. Like, who's going like, to organize all of that to make sure that there's enough people doing enough things to serve all of us and all of our needs? And simultaneously, everybody in, in the, is doing what they love to do and are passionate about it. How is that going to be possible without any sort of like God? I mean, this is my, so I actually I said, said to him, have you ever heard of the body of Christ? Have you ever heard like the, what the, the Bible says about how the Holy Spirit gifts a community for just what it needs at just the right time? This is what Acts 2 is happening here. It's, what, it's what's happening in Ephesians 4. It's what's happening in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12. Paul is saying, in those texts, Peter is saying here, the, 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 Luke is saying in the story here, is that there's these needs, all of us have these needs, and God has equipped us to meet the needs of, our, of each other in our church, to meet the needs of our community. He has uniquely equipped us for this moment because God's in charge and he can do that. Now, what, what does this look like in real time here at St. James? I was, a couple things is, one is, I'm completely confident that God has called all of us here today. And I know some of you are visiting, and some of you are, those of you who are in a new member's class, you're kind of sitting on the Uh, You know, wondering is this the place for me or not and that's totally appropriate. St. James is not the church for everybody. I mean that's clear. Else the whole world is in sin except for us. As much as I'd like to believe that's the case. As much as I believe in St. James, I know that that's not true. Uh, But I'm fully confident that God has brought those of us here because he has needs to be met. Now what this means is this. I'll give you a couple things. One is this. Is that when things go on around here, it's important that The gifting of each other becomes the driving force between any sort of ministry or event or anything like that. Sometimes people will say to me, hey, such and such a ministry, I I really don't, uh, I I, I don't care for how that's going, you know. I I think it could be done a better way. And my answer almost always is, for those of you who have said this to me, you'll know my answer is, is that's who God brought here. That's who God brought here. So I'll just give you a quick one. I'm always hesitant to do this because i musicians by nature are very, very sensitive and uh, uh, very touchy, so you just be gentle when you talk to them. Uh, but people, you know, this it, it, is a fact of church music is, so, so all, all of you, you know how, you know how you know, you know how your uh, SiriusXM account works or how your, uh, you know, how Spotify works. If you don't like a song, you just flip it off and you just flip it around until you find a song you like. So it's a, a, a fact of church life going back millennia, I'm sure, but even more exacerbated now because of uh, we're all consumers when it comes to music. You don't just listen to music like, let me see if I like this. If you don't, you just turn it off and listen to whatever you like. So people, a lot of times, and this is a conversation I probably have had, I'm not going to exaggerate, 50 times from 50 different people since I've come here. Is what You know, what about the music? Is it, uh, you know, it, it should be more one way or it should be more the other way? And the answer I always give is this, is like God brings musicians to our church You pray that God would provide musicians, and then you use them. And if the only musician we had was like a jazz vibraphone player, that's what we would use. We wouldn't be like, well, we can't have music because, you know, we prayed for a musician and God brought along uh, a jazz vibraphone player, but we're not going to use them because this is the kind of music we have. You don't ever say this is the kind of music we have. The kind of music you have is the kind of music that God gives you with the musicians that you have. The kind of saying that the congregation does is the kind of saying that God gives us. Some congregations are good at singing. Some congregations have bad voices. And that's totally up to God. And it's that way with every ministry. And I'll tell you, this is a struggle for me. Because I have ministries that I want to do. Since I've been here, I can give you four or five times where I've been like, this would be really good. This ministry would be really good. And then you pray and you say, God, would you bring the people along to like lead and shepherd this ministry? And then God totally does it. And then you, so, so you meet with them, and you're like, this is so awesome. Like, these people are uniquely equipped to lead this ministry that, like, I was really passionate about and I wanted to do, but of course I don't have time to do it, and I'm not gifted to do it. And so you start talking to them, and within a few minutes you realize that what they want to do is not what you were thinking they should do. What do you do at that point? So my, what are our options? You can micromanage. Uh, I can be like, no, you're not going to do it that way. I'll give you a list of the way I want you to do it. Uh, You can complain, you can be like, oh, ministries, man, nobody does them right. Or, you can be like, God provides the needs when they arise in ways that he wants to do, and you trust him for that. So, is there a ministry that we should be doing at this church? Probably. (laughs) I mean, that's the way the kingdom works. The question is, is, where are you guys gifted? I mean, this is one caveat here, is I don't want to say... There's a danger here that this could be too passive. It could be like, well, I just kind of sit back and God makes the stuff happen. That's true, but God makes the stuff happen through us as people by gifting us. And now here's my caveat is this, I'm t- this morning I am talking about you. I'm talking about you. God does not equip 20 of us to do the work of the ministry. God has equipped every single one of you to do the work of the ministry. And I know that everything about our Christian culture says, church is like the Sunday morning event. And I'm gonna go, and hopefully it's entertaining. And it's like enlightening intellectually. And hopefully I'll get to see some friends and like make some connections. And that's what church is. And what I'm telling you is, is that church is God equipping you to do the work of the ministry. God giving you spiritual gifts So that you can love and serve your friends here at church and your neighbor. And this is not, you understand what I'm saying? This is not the main thing about church. This is a little bit controversial in Lutheran circles. This is not, what I'm doing right now preaching is not the main thing here. When we receive Holy Communion, that's not the main thing here. I mean, it's super important. I'm not downplaying it at all. What is the main thing here is that God is going to use his word. Hopefully, I, like my prayer is always like when I preach, that God would use his word, that God would use his own body and blood to equip us to be the church seven days a week. That's the main thing, is that God has called us here to be his colony in Glen Carbon. And he's using his word and his sacraments by the power of his Holy Spirit to equip us and train us and empower us to be exactly that. And look, I'm super gentle with you because I know the impulse Um, In between abandoning Christianity and coming back to faith, I probably spent four years just doing nothing, sitting in a pew at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and just soaking the gospel up. That's totally fine, like if that's where you're at in this moment, but that's not not what God had planned for me everlastingly. I needed that time to, to relearn the gospel, to get used to the idea, again, that God loves me because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything I do. I needed that time. But the ultimate goal was that God wanted me to serve. And it could have been any number of ways. I mean, it didn't have to be a pastor. It could have been any number of ways. And so what I'm encouraging you guys to do, and I've been doing this uh, several weeks in a row now, what I'm encouraging you guys to do is to start thinking about, am I really, am I really just showing up and soaking up and then not serving? Am, am, I really, am I really exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given me to speak the gospel to people who don't understand it and won't understand it unless it's me giving it to them. And maybe it's not even speaking out loud. That might not be your gift. But but serving and loving in ways that make the gospel clear to people who won't understand them, like these visitors to Jerusalem, unless God brings somebody like Peter or like you into their lives to make it real. If that's not where you're at, I'm fine with it. Just relax. You can soak up. We'll give you a few more weeks. Be thinking, where is God calling me? How can I, how can I be equipped? And really, the only way to do this is to pray and ask God to give you the Holy Spirit, and then to test stuff out. Start serving, start ministering, get involved with the relationships, and see what, see what turns you on. See what it is that you do in the name of Jesus that turns other people on. It's really the only way to do it, but we have to do it. Please stop showing up here on Sunday morning, just as kind of, well, this is what I do. I show up on Sunday morning, and, and that's it. God has called us to rescue Glenn Carbon for him, and like the disciples, he's empowered us to do that. Okay. Uh, that's the second thing. Third thing, the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus. I, I'm just going to point this out. This might be a little bit pedantic too. but um, the, Verse 21, the last verse in, 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 our, in our reading this morning is, and it shall come to pass, Peter's quoting from Joel too actually, but he's preaching, he says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Certainly, Peter means, uh, G, by Lord, he means Jesus. Now, for Peter, here's what Pentecost is. The primary thing that's happening at Pentecost for Peter is not, holy cow, this is awesome, like we're speaking in tongues. Or holy cow, this is awesome, the Holy Spirit's finally here. All those things were vital and important. And what happened next wouldn't have happened if they weren't speaking in tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the main thing for Peter is not necessarily the arrival of the Holy Spirit, but what the arrival of the Holy Spirit means for salvation history. If the Holy Spirit, so Peter quotes from Joel 2, so, so, so uh, uh, people say, those guys are drunk, and Peter says, we're not drunk, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, and so here's what's happening, is that Joel says in Joel 2, in the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, dot, 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 and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Peter says, look, God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh, therefore, That means that this is the last days, if if Joel's right. And if this is the last days, that means it's time to call on the name of the Lord because if this is the last days, it must mean that Jesus, who we were witnesses of his death and resurrection, actually is God's Messiah here to rescue us. So for Peter, I'm just going to read this to you real fast, okay? So any questions, you can talk to me afterwards. I'm just going to kind of blur through this. There's a ton here. So Peter, like, what's going on with the Holy Spirit, Peter? Everybody's asking and Peter's like, hey, let me. don't you remember Joel 2, last days, Holy Spirit's coming, and that means the end days are here, and that means the Messiah is here. So whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to keep on reading here. If you're looking at your Bibles yourself, it's in Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. By the way, if you're not a Christian, this would be a good spot for you to kind of lock in and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying through Peter right now. Just lock in and listen to this. And if you hear any sort of like, maybe I need to think about that. Or that's interesting. What's up with that? Or even like that's connecting with something that I want or something that I'm afraid of, but I think I might need. If you are hearing that voice, Acts 2 says that's the Holy Spirit saying that to you. So do not turn that off. Do not turn that off. Just keep listening. And ask God, if you're real and you're out there, make this clear to me. Jesus, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's one. God, it was God's plan from way back in the beginning to sacrifice himself to rescue us, to throw himself in front of the speeding train in order to save us. That was God's plan from the very beginning. But also, look, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It also happened by humans, we humans, who murdered him. We meant it for evil. God meant it for good. All right, back to the story. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. For David says concerning Jesus, now this is a quote from uh, Psalm uh, 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. I'm just going to go through this. I'll explain it in just a second. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also shall dwell in hope. For you now, so Peter so, is saying that, David is saying that this is Jesus. for Jesus talking to God. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or hell or let your Holy One see corruption. In other words, you're not going to let my body decompose. Jesus knew from the very beginning my body will not decompose. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then Peter goes on to say in verse 20, that's back to Peter. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, you can walk down the street and see David's tomb, so we know this isn't him, because David's body definitely decomposed. He got put in a grave, he died, his body decomposed. This can't be talking about David. Well, then who is David talking about verse 30? Being therefore a prophet, David... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah, that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, listen, everybody listen to this. this is the Holy Spirit talking to you. God right now is speaking to us. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house... i jumping down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So for Peter, the logic goes this way. Again, let's just wrap up and then we'll move on. Holy Spirit's being poured out. That's, that's fun. That's great. That's important. But the main thing we should know about that is that now the last days have come because since the last days have come, we can know that Jesus has been crucified and risen from the dead. And now he is the Lord of the universe. He rules and reigns over all things. And the Holy Spirit is the sure and certain. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit, that Peter had the Holy Spirit, is a sure and certain sign that Jesus has risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of his Father, and now rules and reigns over all things. Okay. Last point and they we'll be done. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I told you this was going to be a little bit practical. This will be real fast. This is going to be practical. Here's what I mean. The way that you experience the Holy Spirit is not through a series of ideas. Right? I can talk about the Holy Spirit like I am this morning, but that's not exactly, and, and definitely God can use his word to, to, to bring the Holy Spirit to us. But the Holy Spirit is not a philosophy. It's, the Holy Spirit's not a concept that you kind of dwell on. It's not like team spirit. You know, team spirit, that doesn't really exist. There's no such thing as a team spirit. There's, you know, some spirit that lives with the team. It's kind of a concept that means. We'll all get along and we'll work together and we'll root for each other and we'll be a better team for it. That's what team spirit means. The Holy Spirit though is actually a real life person which means the way that you experience the Holy Spirit is not up here but it's in real life because the Holy Spirit gives experience. What, what you, you know? I, I, don't, I don't relate to Angela conceptually primarily. Angela is not somebody who primarily I, my, my relationship with her is one where I think about her Or contemplate her. Angela is a person. I walk with her. I eat meals with her. We hold hands. We get in arguments. We talk to other people. We do things together. So this is very important to say this. The Holy Spirit is somebody who does things. And so the way that you experience him is in action. Look, Peter and the apostles, they're not contemplating the meaning of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's actually doing stuff. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit will be doing stuff in your life. Do not close that off. Do not be like, well, that seems kind of like, um, that doesn't seem Lutheran to me. That doesn't seem very, you know, intellectual or creedal or doctrinal. And we just say, well, it's, it's, this is, it's a false. It's a, it's a false either or. It's a, the Holy Spirit, definitely, you can study him, you can think about it. But if you're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not really doing it right. You're not really doing it right. I'm going to close with this quote by C.S., uh, C.S. Lewis, N.T. Wright, where he says this. The experience of God's Spirit from that day, Pentecost to this, can no more be reduced to theological formula and interesting Old Testament echoes, which I've been doing this morning, than you can reduce a hurricane to a list of diagrams on a meteorologist's chart. It's important that someone somewhere is tracking the hurricane and telling us what it's doing. But when it comes to Pentecost, it's far more important that you're out there in the wind letting it sweep through your life your heart your imagination your powers of speech and transform you from a listless or lifeless believer into someone whose heart is on fire with the love of God now the follow up question is this in 30 seconds we'll we be done how, how do you do that like how, how does that i've never done that you know i've never experienced that you know uh, how do we do that and the answer quite simply is this He's just asked Jesus for it. He tells us in Luke chapter 11 that if anybody asks my father for the Holy Spirit, guaranteed, 100%, he will give the Holy Spirit to you. Guaranteed, 100%. A bad father will give his son bread when his son asks for bread. How much more will our good heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm gonna pray a prayer that God will pour out his Holy Spirit on us. And then we'll move on to offering and communion. But I, gather your hearts with me Just for a second here. And let's believe Jesus. Let's believe the promise of Acts two that if Jesus is Lord of the universe, that he wants to give us his Holy Spirit. He wants to empower you individually, me individually at St. James Lutheran Church with his Holy Spirit. Father, we come before you now as people who need you. We desperately need you. We don't need a list of rules, uh, even good rules from your word to tell us what to do. We need you to do the work. And so all of us together, we're joining our hearts. Father, you've brought us together here. You've called us by your name. You've gathered us to this place around your word and your sacrament. And now we're asking you, Father, all of us are asking together, not for our own sake, but for your own glory's sake. We're asking you, in the name of your Son, Jesus, the name you never refuse. We're asking you this morning, in the name of your Son, Jesus, to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Answer that prayer, Father, for our good, but mainly for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray. Father, we praise and thank you for who you are in relationship. We praise you for, uh, and we stand in awe of the eternal relationship, the love and the passion and the commitment that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have had for each other from before all eternity. And, and we're praying to you, Father, and we're bringing our request, of course, but would you open our eyes to the reality that, we have, that you have pulled us up into this relationship with you? Father, we pray to you. Jesus, we pray in your name. Spirit, we can only pray because you groan within us. Father, to, to allow us to know you and to love you, and to be, mainly, to be loved by you and to know that you love us. Uh, never let us be careless of that reality, uh, unthankful for it, um, unaware of it. Help us to learn all the time more and more to live in that safety and in that hope and in uh, that comfort that we get from being in this relationship with you. Lord, in your mercy. Father, help us in this relationship to be your people here in Glen Carbon. Uh, Put us on mission for you. Help us to be shaped by you, to be formed by you, to be empowered by you, to be sent by you. May Glen Carbon come to know and love and trust you as well. Because of what they see in our lives and what they hear from us, Lord, in your mercy, Father, we uh, pray that you would be with our uh, with our world and with uh, specifically with our culture here uh, in the West. And, uh, Father, we've abandoned you. We've uh, absolutized the individual. We've made uh, self sovereignty our most important value, being in charge of ourselves, following our own hearts, believing in ourselves. And now we're uh, reaping that harvest, Father. We're living in a world where all of us are so damaged and we're so desperate to find our identity in so many things, our, our, our careers, our socioeconomic standing, our sexuality, our gender, anything but You. And Father, humble us before You, every single one of us, especially us, Your people, and help us to abandon all these gifts of you that we've turned into false identities and help us to trust and rely on you and to find who we are in your son, Jesus Christ, and to know that we're completely and 100% accepted by you. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we thank and praise you this morning, especially for the birth of Austin Wayne Garkey last Saturday, and we pray that you would continue giving him and Jessica good health and that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on him And bring him quickly to the waters of baptism. And may Austin never ever know a day where he's not completely aware or doubts. Help him never know a day where he doubts that you love him and that you are his God and he is your son. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we can only pray these requests because you have united us by your Holy Spirit to your son Jesus Christ, our brother. And have invited us, called us here into your throne room. And so we come boldly praying these prayers by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord our God, King of all creation, through Jesus Christ our Lord, according to whose true promise the Holy Spirit came down with a sudden great sound, as it had been a mighty wind in the likeness of fiery tongues, lighting upon the apostles to teach them and to lead them to all truth, giving them both the gift of tongues and also boldness, with fervent zeal constantly to preach the gospel to all nations, whereby we've been brought out of darkness and error into the clear light and true knowledge of you and of your Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, with angels and archangels, And with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. and keep you lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace amen if the coming of the holy spirit means the undoing of babel then one of the signs that the holy spirit is here is renewed relationship and commitment with people that you didn't know before or maybe didn't have a ton in common with start to make that happen right now here at the end of the service go in peace